Well, here we are from the locker room. I've got, you know, my good friend, Coach Mike Smith, three-time NFL Coach of the Year. But we got a really special guest tonight, Mike. You know, Dr. Brian Nolan, president of East Tennessee State University. You know, Dr. Nolan came to Johnson City in January of 2012 and has done an incredible job of leading this university and this community. So um, glad to have you on here, President Nolan. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Dr. Sander, Coach Smith, thanks for having me on. I uh, have been looking forward to this and uh, really honored by the chance to be with the two of you this evening. Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, I always wonder about is, you know, somebody that is a, a Washington Wizards um, fan has been able to achieve to your level, you know, that, that, that's pretty unusual, you know, you've had to suffer through a lot. You must be a tough guy to be able to under, undergo all that kind of uh, uh, situation. That, that's not altogether fair. Um, that's not the way to start this podcast there, Doc. I mean, that, you're bringing up Manute Bowl, Muggsy Bogues, the management of the fairies. I mean, we could just go on and on and on about my team. And then, you know, to Coach Smith, you know, we, we became a, a kind of adopted Atlanta Falcons fans, but I was born of a, a, a fan of a team that now no even longer has a name. Um, so I'm just getting killed all the way around. You are, yeah. well, it's great to have you on, you know, and I think, you know, for you to take the time, I mean, this has got to be an incredibly busy time for you. And, you know, Mike and I were talking a little bit beforehand and I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I think, you know, Mike had a question that, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about Mike. So why don't you ask Dr. Nolan that question, you know, that you had yeah, for sure. me. Hey, Dr. Nolan, thanks for coming on. And I just want to tell you how uh, I've enjoyed our friendship and uh, I've enjoyed watching your leadership at ETSU and what you've been able to accomplish during your administration. It's just been amazing to, to see the things, not only in athletics, but all the way across the, uh, all the way across the campus. So thank you so much for what you've done for not only the, uh, ETSU, but the Tri-Cities and the East Tennessee State uh, community. It's, it's just amazing what's happened over the last seven, eight years. And, uh, I want to, I'm going to get you with a hard one right off the bat. You know, as a coach, you, you're, you know, you control 53 guys and really, you know, we're always being evaluated every day, but when you're a coach in the NFL, you got 16 regular season games and then hopefully you do well and you go play in the playoffs. Uh, so those are, you know, those are kind of your benchmarks where you've got so many people and so many pe people that are wanting to, touch you every day and as a leader how do you compartmentalize all that and what are some of the things that you'd recommend for guys that need to do things like that well first coach th thank you for um your friendship and, and guidance over the course of the past eight nine years um you know it seems like just yesterday that i was in your office down in flowering branch and you know my answer to your question is something that you really brought front and center to me that day in your office. Um, you may not remember this, but I'll never forget it. You had a number of sticky notes that were on uh, the cabinet behind your desk. And I had asked you what those were. And you told me that your daughter put those sticky notes in your office the first day you got the job. And they had stayed there ever since. And it was a way to keep you rooted and humbled in what was important. And, and I, I tried to, to do the same thing. Um, sometimes you can get lost in the challenges that are in front of you. You know, at a university, you have 15,000 students, 2,600 faculty and staff. 
in a community such as ours, we touch everything. You know, I, I like to joke that at ETSU, we literally touch cradle to grave. You come into this earth at the hands of an ETSU physician, you're cared for in the NICU by one of our nurses, you go to preschool on campus, you graduate from university school, and then when you exit this world, in whose hands do you exit? Ours, because we run the morgue. But if you let that get to you, you can get lost. You know, I've got here this wonderful award-winning pen holder that my son made for me when he was three years old. And, um, you know, little things like that keep you rooted. You know, your parents taught you values that hopefully you instill in your children, hard work, determination, honesty, integrity. And um, if you focus on the things that matter, which are people and your family, nine times out of 10, you'll do the right thing. So, um, you know, the, the ability to, to manage a nuance, a lot of moving parts, and we can get through some of the things that are on the agenda, particularly this year, COVID year. But I don't think it matters if you're running a, a small business, if you're a coach in the NFL or a university president, um, you always have to put your family first. Well, I, it was so well said, uh, President Nolan, you know, family is very, very important. And you, you get that feeling when you're on campus at, at ETSU uh, and, it start, and it starts at the top. And I think it's, it's well said, you know, we have, we have uh, in, the, in, in the NFL or college football, you know, we've got this, the 16 game schedule. So it's, you know, we don't have game day every day like you do. That's one thing I, as, as the CEO and the president of the university, it's game day every day. You don't get a day off. And how do you try to disconnect? I, I know you work uh, closely with uh, some of your associates, but you, and you take time for your family and you've kind of mentioned that, but what are some of the coping me mechanisms that you use for leaders that uh, have issues doing that? How do you cope with that and try to be able to disconnect and keep everything in, in, in perspective? Well, I, I'm, I'm probably not the right person to ask because that's something I really struggle with. Um, I, I struggle with compartmentalizing and, you know, finding time to take care of yourself. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy doing things with my family. Um, I'm fortunate in that my son is now 15 and we've spent pretty much four nights a week since March when COVID hit um, playing basketball or working out. Um, you know, I was talking to, to Doc earlier about some of the things my son and I have been doing. Uh, last week, we were over at Green Stadium running gassers, half gassers, full court, full length of the field sprints. Um, my son's broken my nose, two fingers over the course of the summer, but it's probably been the most fun he and I have had, that ability to take something that I love, which is to play basketball and to do it with your son. So, you know, my way to react, to relax is to, to connect with sports. I love to attend games, watch games, and I, I still am foolish enough to try to play. Um, that for me is the ability to step away because when you're on the court and that court could be a, a, a tennis court, it could be on the links playing golf, but it's your ability to detach from the pressures that are in front of you. Um, so whatever your release is, you know, the ability to find that release. And if you're fortunate enough to involve your family in the release, then that makes it 10 times more meaningful. You know, Dr. Nolan, one of the things that's always impressed me so much about you is you are so committed to your value system. 
And it seems to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me like your valued system really sets the course for just about every decision that you make. And clearly, you know, you make a lot of decisions that impact a lot of people's lives and irrespective of, you know, how many people like your decision, there's going to be a fair amount that don't like your decision. So, I mean, can you talk to, to that a little bit? Yeah, Doc, I can, and, and maybe let me put it in the in the context of some things we as a university have worked through with COVID. Um, you know, it's hard to believe that here we are in the month of November, and we're still wrestling with things that were in front of us back in March. Um, but as we've moved through the period of March to today, you know, we've had to make a number of decisions that run counter to everything that you've been trained to do, you know, as educators as coaches, as athletic directors, you know, you've been trained to bring people together in groups, to build teams, to make personal connections, to look individuals in the eye. And COVID's forced us to, to look at things in a different way. Um, COVID's also forced us to make decisions that run counter to all business principles. Um, never in my career did I think I would voluntarily take our residence halls from 95% capacity to 50% capacity in, in doing so, you know, we cut our profit margins in half, but we made that decision in the interest of keeping people safe. Um, we were one of only a few institutions in the South to make some of the aggressive decisions we made in the interest of keeping people safe. And as I reflect back on the fall and, you know, there are schools across the South that had thousands of students in quarantine at any one time, you know, knock on wood to date, the most students we've had in quarantine is 40. And that's because of the difficult we decisions we made to put people first rather than financial interest firsts. Um, and I've had a lot of folks send me notes and call and, and tell me we're worried too much about COVID. We're afraid of our own shadow. Um, but the, the most difficult decisions you have to make are decisions that involve health, safety, and wellness. And as we've seen this virus spread, you know, fortunately to date, we've not had really negative outcomes on campus. And I'm somewhat hopeful that those are because of the difficult decisions we made. And we've got decisions on the horizon. You know, football season is on the doorstep. Um, how many fans will we allow in the stands? Um, that's gonna be a critical question. Likewise for basketball. And, you know, we, we average a sellout at Freedom Hall what do you take Freedom Hall down to? Is it 500 fans, 750 fans, no fans? Um, irrespective of the decision that I make, I know that there are people going to be happy with the decision and people are going to be upset with the decision. You know, we've tried to say, you know, this is not a political statement. Wear your mask to keep one another safe. But for a lot of people, it's a political statement. So, you know, I, I go back to your question on values, Doc. The values of the university are people come first and they're treated with dignity and respect. And that's the way we've approached it. Put people first, put health and safety first and worry about everything else when you got to worry about it. You know, in your position, you know, you have so many, I mean, so many people, so many decisions, so many areas. Um, how do you, how do you really um, build your team? that you really rely on, your inner circle of people that, you know, you really, really trust. I mean, 
there were some people I'm sure when you got there that, you know, you connected with, there were other people that maybe you didn't think were right for the situation. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? That that's an incredibly important, uh, you know, I think decision for you is getting the right people, as, as they say, you know, getting the right people on the bus and getting the right people off the bus. How do you do that relative in a, in a time frame where you can really start making progress? Well, I, I think the first thing any new leader has to do is to get a real clear assessment of the strengths and weaknesses of the individuals who are on the team that you're becoming a part of. So if, if you're an athletic director and you're moving to a new institution, the coaches, the support staff, we're all there prior to your arrival. And if your first action is to try to replace as many people as you can in the first few months, that's not going to position you well for success. The institution was here before you arrived, and it'll be here after you leave. So you've got to learn about the institution, its people, its history. Um, you've got to be willing to give people a little bit of latitude to make mistakes. But ultimately, you, you need people who are going to be loyal to you, but also people who are willing to tell you no. Because as an NFL coach or as an athletic director, most people want to make you happy. They're going to tell you yes, but you need people who can tell you no and to be willing to do so without the fear of repercussion. So I was fortunate here to inherit a, a pretty good team, a team of seasoned leaders. Um, you know, our provost, the chief business officer, the chief operating officer um, really had to have a lot of patience with me because they were on the other end of their careers. They were in their 70s, some approaching early 80s when I became president. I was in my mid 40s. Um, some of them had kids older than me, but they looked at me as an equal rather than as a junior. And that allowed me pretty quickly to, to, to gain uh, their respect and for, for me to, to respect them in return. Um, you know, age is irrelevant. It's a function of talent and your willingness to work hard. So as I've recruited people to the university, you know, Doc, you and I had the honor to hire a whole lot of coaches, um, hired fiscal officers, advancement officers, and we've got 2,600 employees. We've probably made three, 400 critical hires since I've been here. You have people who work hard, um, people who are, you know, not entitled. Um, there's a, a whole lot of benefit for blue collar background because they're going to work and outwork folks from, from different backgrounds. As Coach Forbes used to say, um, he'd recruit Burger King players who could kick the backside of all, McDonald's All-Americans. Um, and I've looked for the same thing. I want people who are honest, who will work hard and are willing to, to put in the extra effort. But I want people who will tell me no, and you don't want everyone who looks at things the same way. You know, Doris Kearns Goodwin, who was on our campus a year and a half ago, talked about Lincoln's cabinet with a team of rivals and I, I really believe you need people who will push and pull on one another uh, to help you make good decisions. I, I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of rambled a little bit. No, I think that's great. That's exactly, you know, I'm, I'm actually putting together now, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about putting together, you know, conceptual stuff for like the first hundred days for you and an athletic director or coach. And, you know, I'm sure for a university president, it's more than the first hundred days, but I think there are clearly some things you want to do and a lot of things you said I'm actually including. So yeah. maybe, maybe I'll send that to you. I'd love for you to look at it. You've got to see a full cycle. Um, there's something magic about a year. Um, in a year, you have a chance to see the full life cycle of an organization. 
Um, you know, don't rush to judgment and make quick decisions, particularly for, for organizations with long histories. Now, as coaches, that's harder. You know, the pressure to win is immediate, um, and your success is, is measured in, in annual wins and losses. But if, if you're in different settings, if you're in a corporate setting, an academic setting, um, you know, to remember the, the benefit of, of patience. You know, I, I've been here now almost nine years. I started in 2012. Um, I learned something new every day. And don't be in such a rush that you make too many mistakes because people will be patient for a while. But if you try to make too many changes too soon, too quickly, um, you won't have the life cycle that you need to, to really make long-term change at a university. You know, you and I made the decision to, 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 to do the things we did with football and uh, coach, you helped us a great deal with it. Um, but we didn't do that in the first two months. We spent a lot of time listening. Um, when we made the decision, we made the decision. There was no turning back, but you don't need to rush into personnel decisions just like you don't need to rush into to anything that could have a disruptive impact on the organization that you've been entrusted to lead. Yeah, I think, I think Dr. Sanders, you're, you're aware of this and, and Dr. Nolan, uh, you know this as well, but I think for our listeners, I think you know the, the people that are the best listeners are the best communicators. It's not the best oratorical speaker that are the best communicators. I, I really believe, and you, you've said it right what you were talking about, uh, Dr. Nolan, about you don't want to do things too quickly. You want to get you want to get in there, get a lay of the land, and be very strategic, and go through the you know go through the cycle. And for you in an academic year, it's you know it's one seat, it's one year. You know for football, it's one it's one season. But I think that's one of the things that I, as a leader, I would take from our, our conversations today. It'd be one of the things that I would check off and say, don't be in a hurry. Make sure that you are very intentional about the decisions that you're going to make. You don't have to make changes just to make changes. Sometimes there's really good people within the organization. And, and, and coach, within that, for, for me, it's a, it, it's a year. Within that year, be as many places as you possibly can and meet as many people as you possibly can. You know, one of the things that I was intentional to do in the first year was to spend half a day with the police department to do ride-alongs at night, um, to show up on a Saturday with the grounds crew and mow the grass. Um, the first day we had a big snow to show up with the grounds crew and shovel snow. Um, we had these god-awful plastic shovels that couldn't shovel snow to save their life. And it made us buy real steel shovels. We move snow a lot faster with a good shovel. But that shows to folks all across the institution that you as a leader aren't afraid to get your hands dirty and do the little things. And don't just show up and spend an hour and leave. I mean, you got to show up in your boots and spend a whole day with those folks um, because you learn as much from those who make the campus move as you do from those who think that they're in the upper echelon of an organization. You really want to know what's going on? Talk to the grounds crew. Great. Hey, great point. You know, it reminds me of my first, my first, I, I call it my first hundred days because you have to convince it as a, you know, in athletics, like you said. Uh, but, you know, you walk the hallways. Uh, you know, I spent more time walking the hallways than I did worrying about who was going to be the starting right guard 
I wanted to make sure that we had a, a solid support system in place for our, you know, for our football players. And I wanted those support people to know that they were going to be a big part of us turning it around. And uh, I never thought about it. Like you said, Hey, go out and go out and ride around with the police. You know, I just kind of walked the hallways kind of aimlessly. I never, you know, I never got back there and cooked in the, in the kitchen or anything, but if I ever had to do it over, that's probably what I do. I'd, I, I would really get roll my sleeves up. I kind of just walked around and try to get feedback. But when you get right in there with them, with the elbow grease, I'm sure you get you get a whole different perspective from them. Well, and, and also it, it helps to build culture. So one of the things that I firmly believe in is an attention to detail. Um, details matter and details matter all across the organization. So, you know, it pretty quickly got out at the campus that I paid attention to the grounds. The grounds crew knew that I paid attention to them. Now, fast forward four or five years later, um, you know, there's one day I'm, I'm talking to someone and you know, the grounds crew guy says, Dr. Nolan, we know that we're part of your recruiting effort because if you take good care of the grass and parents see how beautiful the grounds are, then they know you're going to take good care of their kids. And our grounds crew began to see how they played a critical role in the recruitment mission of the university. But all of that comes from every single element of the campus or the organization or the team knowing what the end goals and the end objectives are and knowing the person at the top um, is willing to, to come down and, and, and do the dirty work, you know, in the athletic space. And I, COVID's gonna keep me from doing it this year. But last year I got out and practiced with teams. Um, I ran full set of practice with the women's basketball team. Um, in fact, I, I missed a layup on a drill and a player told me I had to do push-ups, and I <laughs> dropped and did push-ups. Um, but if, if everyone sees that the person at the top is willing to, to get down and do push-ups with the players, then they all know that when your back's against the wall, that our back's against the wall together. And I think you're going to fight a little bit harder um, and you're going to get a little bit farther. That's just, it, it's, it's not a textbook approach to leadership. Um, it's things that I've watched the two of you do, um, just work hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's so important that people see you as authentic. They know it's real. You know, I think that's really important. Mike and I talk about this in a couple of our sessions of being, being authentic, but I think that's just you and, and you, you know, you're very comfortable in that role. You feel good about engaging with people, talking to people and doing things, you know, and I think everybody really appreciates that, you know, they feel very, very comfortable and good about, you know, uh, he's one of us. He, he's, he's on our team, you know, rather than, you know, you hear stories about, you know, some, some leaders being so um, insulated from everybody else. And I think you can do so much when you have that relationship and people appreciate that so much. Well, I think, that, Doc, one of the, the aspects that's important, particularly for individuals who are uh, looking to, to move forward in their career, is to, to be patient and to, to be mindful of time. You know, sometimes individuals can look at jobs as a step to the next job. Um, if that's the way you approach a position when you take it, you're not doing yourself a favor and you're not doing the place that hired you a favor. Um, you've got to be at a place long enough to be willing to, to, to make a difference. And, you know, that's, that's longer than three, four years. Um, 
you know, for a head, head coach to, to show up at East Tennessee State University to stay here three years and to leapfrog to the next place and to the next place, um, after a while, that reputation is going to stick with you. And when you get to a place, the first question they're going to ask is, how long is he going to stay? It's difficult to lead when the people you're entrusted to lead don't have faith that you're going to stick around for a while. So, you know, to, to people who are junior in their career, you know, there's, there's something magic about being at a place five years. Don't be in such a hurry for your next job that you don't enjoy the one that you have. Oh, God, Dr. Dalton, so well said. Uh, you, you know, you see that in you see that in athletics in our realm, right, Doc? You see guys, hey, they're not, you know, they're more concerned about what is this going to do for my next job instead of doing the one I got very well. And uh, again, I think that is such a great point for the, for people that are listening to this and young coaches. You've got to, hey, you've got to put, hey, you got to roll your sleeves up and put all the effort in. Don't be worrying about your next job. Do the best job you can do at the job you're at at that time. And I like the idea, and I'm sure you probably have told candidates when they come in at ETSU is five, you know, five years is probably the, the magic number where you really, hey, not only do you get invested in the community and you get invested in the in the organization or the or the university, but it also helps you grow as you know, as a leader, as you move up another level, you're going to tell the people that you are going to be leading about how important it is for them to spend time, be intentional, become the type of leader that people are going to want to work for. And that's one that they know is you can rely on and it's going to be, you know, be a part of your program for a long time. And, and, and to make sure as you're looking for that opportunity to find a place that's the right fit. Um, Doc and I were in Hilton Head together a number of years ago, and uh, Bobby Kremens was at the place where we were, and he was having dinner with Doc. And um, I remember talking to Coach Kremens. I kind of remember it as if it was yesterday. We were walking through his career, and he asked me a question. And he said, well, Dr. Nolan, one day you're going to realize the best job you ever have is the one you have now. Because you're at a medium-sized institution where you have the ability to pull the strings and make decisions and bigger isn't always better. Um, and then he reflected on his career, having been at App State, going on to Georgia Tech, and you know, all the success that he had. But as he was reflecting back on his career, the time that he spent at a place like an ETSU or at App State, that's big enough to have all the moving parts, but not so large that you're all the people in a place think about. Um, sometimes it, things are more meaningful where the pressure isn't as high as what he was getting at. And, you know, as I look to presidents who are, you know, at, at places like LSU, um, we were down at LSU, we played him in basketball last December. Um, you know, their president was really reflecting upon his tenure at LSU and how football was king. And um, that, that's a, a much different environment than at a place like here where people will cut you a little bit more latitude if you make mistakes than you do um, at a place like an LSU. And it was just wonderful to hear Coach Kremens talk about the fact that sometimes bigger isn't always better. Let me ask you a question. You know, one of the things, of course, you and I worked on this a lot, like you said earlier, but, you know, everything that I think you do is strategic, you know, to meet the mission of the institution. And so 
how, how do you, do you consciously sit down and, you know, strategically think through everything? Is there something that happens that then you create a strategic initiative to deal with that issue? Do you, how do you really do that? And do you have that written down or is that just something you kind of have in your, you know, just that's who you are? Well, Doc, I don't know, because sometimes I feel like I'm not that strategic, particularly when I'm sitting next to you at basketball games. <laughs> um, you know, Coach, the, the most challenging place in America to be is next to, to Dr. Richard Sander at a basketball game, um, because he'll get me going, I'll get him going. You know, you know. There, there, was, there was a game when the head of the officiating crew called me over at halftime and said that if I didn't calm him down, that they were going to ask him to leave the stadium. Now, what I never told Doc was that the officiating guy said to me, and you need to calm down as well, Mr. President. <laughs> so, um, you know, to, to pull back away from the emotions of moments, because I, I tell that by design, sometimes you can get carried away in the emotion of a moment. Um, but I, I take a lot of notes. Um, you know, behind me is a stack of yellow notepads. And I take a lot of notes. One of the things that I do is, at the end of every week, I go back through those notes. I kind of rank order those items that are of importance. At the end of the month, I go through those things that continue to appear as orders of importance. And then you start putting that on another notebook of strategic initiatives. Um, we're still working through a strategic planning exercise that we launched back in 2012 and 13, where we outlined a big vision for the university knowing that it would take us a decade to realize a lot of those objectives. And, and football was one of those objectives. Um, you know, when Dr. Sander and I started football at ETSU, we didn't know anything about football. You know, Coach, we had to come down to Florida to learn about it. I mean, come down to Atlanta to learn about it from you and hear a lot of stories from you when you were in Florida. Um, but you bring people around, you know what they're doing. But you know, to be strategic, Doc, I, I try to plan things out a year in advance. You know, I will over Thanksgiving start to plan those things that I want to accomplish in 21. I'll start to plan those things that I want to accomplish in 22. Because if, if you don't start working on them now, you're not going to get to them. And most things have a 12 to 24 month planning horizon. You know, one of the other things that I know you have, you have people who you really trust who are kind of they're not your employees particularly, but they're just people that you really have. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know some of the people that you really trust who you bounce things off of and you take great, um, you know, I, I think you take a great deal of, you give those people a great deal of respect and really trust what they tell you. Well, early in my career, I, I worked for a gentleman named uh, Dr. Richard Rhoda, who was the executive director of the Tennessee Higher Education Commission. And I watched Dr. Rhoda's leadership style and he was diligent, he was thoughtful, he was data-driven, um, but he also realized that he could benefit significantly from listening and learning from individuals who'd been in leadership positions and who had the benefit of time on their, on their side. So he had this group of maybe six to seven people that he called the Board of Elders. They were all in their 70s, 80s, retired former university presidents. And he brought them together about once a month and just said, hey, I'm dealing with this problem. Do you ever deal with it in your past? If so, how? What advice would you have? 
And I've really tried to do likewise. So I've got a group of maybe eight to 10 people, all of whom are retired, senior in their career, who I reach out to once a week in certain capacities, sometimes in groups, sometimes individually, and just listen to them tell war stories. Because the chances are they've been through anything that I'm facing and I can learn from their mistakes. Now, I also have a group of about five contemporary presidents that I lean to for advice. COVID's been different. Um, none of them have ever had to face COVID, but they've all faced budget issues. They've all faced social unrest. They've all faced personnel decisions. And um, to, to learn from people with a little bit more experience under their belt than you have um, is, I, I think, something that a lot of people could benefit from. Um, and then on the, the final side of it is to then pay that full circle. So I've started a program at the institution called Presidential Fellows, where I'm bringing three to four junior career faculty into a leadership circle, trying to give them a little bit of advice um, and then giving them the same chance to, to work with these people with some experience under their belt. So, you know, as a form, former coaches to talk to, to folks who've, who've been in your shoes, you know, coach, you told me the, the wonderful story of, about Coach Shula and how you, know, you really looked up to Coach Shula as a young man. And then he was wonderful to provide a mentorship role to you as a, a young coach. Um, that's the way I've tried to approach it, Doc. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge takeaway for anybody that's watching this. You know, there are people out there and, and you may be in a position of you know, authority, but you know, don't get so you know, don't get so confused that you got all the answers. There's plenty of people that, you know, you can really, you know, count on to really share ideas, thoughts, whatever, um, that have, have experienced those sort of things. So and, and I would hope everybody has a, a, a group like that. And, and one point I mentioned on, on those notepads, um, take time to go back after you've been in a position for a while and read the notes that you took that were your observations on the place that you've gone to work in your first six months. Um, take a, list, a look at the things that you said were problems and see how many of them you've been able to fix. Um, there's something beautiful about fresh eyes, seeing things for the first time. And as a, a person who's new in a position, write down those observations and reflections and then go back to them year after year after year to ensure that as you gain experience, you don't become jaded by that experience. There's, there's a beauty of fresh eyes. Take, take good notes while your eyes are fresh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. It's really interesting because sometimes you get so focused on what you're doing and everything, and then you go back and you think about things, you read something you wrote maybe three or four years ago, and you go, wow, you know, I kind of need to remember where I was, you know, three or four years ago. And some of the things I did to get to where we are today, maybe that needs to be reinforced right now. So, you know, those are, those are, you know, great thoughts, great thoughts. Yeah. And Dr. Nolan, the hiring of, you know, the hiring of the right people, I think is, you know, it's paramount to your success. And when you go through that process of, of hiring uh, you know, an athletic director or a vice or a vice president, or even someone that's ahead of a department. Uh, what's the process that you go through? Because sometimes in certain uh, businesses, it, it's very, it's a very closed uh, community. 
and uh, it, it's and sometimes it's hard for other people from outside that community to get involved. Do you listen to people from outside as well as people from inside the communities? I, I, you do. You, you've got to listen to internal constituencies as well as external. Um, but the the hiring process is really variable. Um, no two hires are the same. So when we hired Steve Forbes, you know, essentially I said to, to Doc, Doc, bring me some names. And he and I vetted those names. We did our research. And ultimately, when we found the person we thought we wanted, we got on a plane and flew out to Wichita and recruited him as much as he recruited us. Um, but I'm getting ready to, to start the search for new university provost. Uh, that's a very different process. The campus community has expectations for shared governance and input. For that one, I'm going to hire a search firm and we'll open the process up and be very inclusive uh, because that's a, a position whereby the process does as much to determine the candidate's success once they're placed as it does anything else. So no two hires are the same. Um, but the characteristics of what I'm looking for in the candidates are the same, hard work, honesty, integrity. You know, the, the most successful hires that I've made have been ones where I've had a sense of people I was interested in and I went out and recruited them. Um, some of the most unsuccessful hires that I've had is when you've got 10 strangers who walk through the door and you, you kind of got to make a decision based on ill-informed information. So back to your question about who do you reach out to? You've got to learn as much about the people you're going to hire as you possibly can. So that's making calls on and off the reference list, um, you know, checking their social media presence, um, really ensuring that when you make that hire, you've done your homework, but then you're still going to make a mistake. Um, there's some people Doc and I have hired that, boy, if we could have done it all over again, we would have done it differently. No question. Um, but then we, you know, we we got lucky on some hires. Um, we really didn't know much at all um, about how to approach hiring a football coach. But you helped us get a heck of a football coach, and we leaned on your advice because we knew we were just two stupid basketball guys. Well, you you guys have been great leaders. There's no doubt about it. And you made a great decision with your with your first hire, and he did. You know, he he really started it at a ground level, and that says a lot about about you guys going through that process because you can keep, you can get overwhelmed in a hiring process and uh, going you know as because you go through them as a coach and you've got to you've got to really take the people that you really trust and and listen to and listen to them because if you if you take too much information in I believe doesn't it get garbled up and hey you just feel like you're spinning your wheels. Uh, did you kind of try to get down to a final three or a final five as quickly as possible in most hires? We do, and, and, and quite often um, you've got a sense of, as a leader, you always need to have kind of a, a, a pretty good pulse on your industry to know who's moving through circles. So one of the things that you all have helped to build with some of the pipeline efforts, you know, Bill of Seven, Top Connect, et cetera, is the opportunity to constantly have a pulse of who are emerging stars in certain professional circles. Um, and I try to do the same in, in my setting. So, you know, who are rising stars in the Dean's world? 
in the chair's world, in the chief financial officer's world, uh, but then also, also ensuring that you build structures for internal promotion and development. Um, in a big organization like a university with 2,600 employees, we try to do a lot of growth from within. Um, so you, you've got to balance internal and external back to your original question. I don't want to keep you. I know you guys got, you know, bigger fish to fry. And, you know, I know Dr. Owen, you probably got another meeting at eight o'clock. So we'll let you go. But, you know, I'd love for you to come back again sometime. You know, I think this was really uh, enjoyable for me. I think anybody who listened to it would have a lot of takeaways. And so, you know, maybe in another month or so, I'd love to have you back on and, you know, move, move down the road a little bit further. But I'd be, be happy to. Um, and and I, I want to thank the two of you for the investments that you're making in the, the next generation of leader, not only in the business sector, but in the, in the athletic world. Um, you know, we're, we're going to see massive turnover as a result of COVID. Um, folks are, the, the grind is, is difficult. The grind of budgets, the grind of social media, the grind of masks. So this is a time where I think you're going to see a lot of positions become available. And um, really, people have the, the chance to, to, to make some career moves that they may not have made in a non-COVID setting. So I thank you all for the work that you're doing to prepare the next generation of leader. And, you know, Doc, I would welcome the chance to, to come back and talk a little bit about some tab. Okay, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> we'd be happy, happy to do that as well. Um, you know, Coach, you, you've, you've played with him on the links, and, you know, golf is now his new passion. And I'm, I'm told he's a, a heck of a golfer, but the, the one thing that, that Doc probably won't lead on is, is he probably has the best jump shot at our institution, and he's a fearless competitor. So a number of years ago, we had the opening night to basketball. It was called Blue Nanza. We had several thousand people in the gym, and, you know, it's the typical first night of basketball dunk competitions and all the things to watch the players run up and down the court. But someone had the brilliant idea to build support among the student body that the athletic director would shoot free throws. And if he made enough free throws, students would get free books. Well, Doc never missed a free throw. And I reminded him after he gave away the fourth semester of free books that it was coming out of his budget. So we do need to have a conversation about budgeting. Because in all seriousness, um, he can spend a lot of money, and we need some conversations about how to save money. I was I was really good at getting in President Nolan's pocket, though. I, I was pretty good at that. That was probably my strong suit. He, yeah, that, he kind of took care of me. that yeah. was your strong suit. Well, yeah. Dr. Nolan, he's pretty good at getting in my pocket on the golf course. <laughs> um, I'm trying. I, I want to be like him when I grow up because. Every time we go out, he just happens to win. It just does it. He just does it. So uh, we know he's a great athlete and we're, Hey, we're so good or we're so glad that he, you know, he's here and we're so glad you're here at ETSU. The alumni appreciate everything that you do. And I would really like to have a chance to, to talk with you. And I'd like to focus on this COVID thing when it's over, because it's going to be something that leaders and, and, people in education and businesses, they're going to have to look at this because it's really changing the world. And I'd love to have another conversation with you. Hopefully it's going to be soon when this is all over. 
would, would welcome the chance to do so. Um, but hey, thank you all for the opportunity to be a part of this tonight. Um, everyone have a great evening. Be safe. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. Yeah. Right. Thank you all.